You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Jesus, we come before you with hearts that all we can say is Abba. We thank you that you are enough and that because of you we can live that because of you we are redeemed and that we are seen. We come before you with hearts that are open and hearts that are tired. We seek honesty in this time together and is in your precious name I pray, amen. So to give you preface before I introduce myself, um, that prayer was pretty much all that I could say for a really long time. I was exhausted and I was angry and when I got to ask to speak in chapel, The Lord said, Kiana, tell them what you needed to hear. And that is what I needed to hear, was just to be put before the throne of God, knowing that in him I was enough, in him I was worthy, and in him I was loved. So, I'm Kiana. (laughs) I'm a really proud member of the appointed class. Oh, that was so good. I am a psychology major, equine minor. I'm the assistant student director of Asbury University Service Mounts. I serve as the Vice President of Hospitality on the student um, leadership team of WGM. I drive a 99 Jeep Grand Cherokee and I have spent the last two summers in Iowa and I promise all of those things are relevant. So we're gonna start from last Thursday. So I want you to imagine I've been stuck in my room for a week in quarantine, it was very bad. And then I come out of quarantine. I just have done the first day of Mockingbird. I was tying up what was a 17-hour day. I was exhausted. I pull out my phone after the show, and Kellen had texted me twice, and I was just like, oh, Kellen, that's my friend, cool. And he was like, do you want to speak in chapel? I I was in the green room. He can ask the cast. I just screamed. That was my response. And I was like, I would like to speak in chapel. And then he said, it's about listening to God in the waiting. And (laughs) I just screamed, (laughs) because that has been my whole entire semester. And what made that extra special was earlier that Thursday, I would received an email saying that I received a grant that would cover the rest of my financial semester. And I can't even tell you how elated I was. And never has an email from student accounts been so healing. This semester, I think, has been hard for all of us. It's been a lot of highs and a lot of lows a lot of experiences that we've had together, um, and I think we're all just really tired, and that's okay. This semester has been hard to heal from anything because there's just so much uncertainty, and this can make healing from anything really difficult, and for me, it made trusting the Lord very difficult. If you know me at all, I really hope that you know that my relationship with Jesus is so important to me. I literally can't get dressed in the morning without talking to God about it first. I hated the idea of being angry at God. Even the thought of it, I just tried to push it away for a long time because that couldn't be who I was. I couldn't feel that way. So to keep giving you context, this summer, I spent most of my time healing and trying to think through realizations I had made. I was hurt and I was angry at my parents. Um, Their presence was always less than understanding and compassionate and their glance towards me was always critical. I left my childhood thinking my mental illnesses were not real and that the big things I was feeling were always dramatic. 
This left me desiring a lot of freedom to feel the thoughts and feelings that I was thinking. And I found this, oddly enough, an independence I was stumbled into and almost forced into this semester. So I can see this now, after I've been in counseling for seven weeks and have taken a whole class on grief and have talked with many wise friends, but in the weird COVID summer in the cornfields of central Iowa, these sat as nameless and thoughtless feelings. I had to rely so deeply on the community around me, but it took me being honest with them. They couldn't help me if they didn't know what I was feeling. I had to get used to my new reality of being the constant sad friend. I would often have random outbreaks of weeping and sometimes they lasted for hours. So this meant a lot of hours of hammocking and this meant a lot of insomnia, late night chats over a knitting project that I just started, um, hot tears followed by coffee runs and sitting in so much silence together. And I will refrain from saying how healing silence is and let you think about that for yourself. So coming into this semester, the Lord has been providing through some very odd avenues. First was my old Jeep. If so, if I refer to him as a he, his name is Eugene. Um, he has been everything to me. A conduit of freedom, my independence in myself as an adult and trusting the people in my life. But I was still grieving, even though I was rejoicing this new thing I was given. I was still the sad friend pretty much all the time, and I hated that too. I had to let myself be carried by the people around me, and I had to rely so fully day to day on the Lord. I could take absolutely no more than my daily rations, and sometimes the next 10 minutes was too much. So by week four, I was starting to feel a little bit better, starting to feel like a person. My counseling and full yet still forced reliance on my friends was helping me through my grief. But listening to God is so much easier when you can feel Him so presently. So around week four, I began the trek of searching for financial aid for this semester, and I couldn't get approved for a loan by myself and no one to co-sign with me, and I was literally asking anyone I knew to pray. And I was praying so fervently, and I was so mad. I was so mad. I really tried to hide it because I'm usually the one in most of my circles with the intact relationship with God, so I couldn't be angry at him. So one day, towards the end of my striving, I can't even lie to you, I angry cried at God for a good five hours. And if you know me, crying at all is a pretty big deal, and being really angry at anything is a really big deal, let alone being that angry at God. I was absolutely shattered. I was in pieces. At this point, I was asking people sometimes for the third and fourth time to keep praying, and a couple of very dear, very honest friends said, Kiana, God wants you to stop trying. The nerve of them. I was so mad. I was so mad. I, it, it infuriated me at the thought of stopping trying. I had to do something because obviously God wasn't doing anything, so I just had to try harder, and I was so angry. And then by the third person <laughs> saying, Kiana, God just wants you to stop striving. I maybe took it in a little bit better, and the Lord whispered so gently over my screaming, sweetheart, please, I'm still right here. Just rest. I'm still right here. I have not moved, and I'm working even if you can't see it. 
looking back into this moment, I felt like a very angry small dog. My attempt at trying to move God and be so angry at him and fight him did absolutely nothing for him. It didn't move him at all. So that evening I spent one very long, very weepy email to financial aid saying, I'm exhausted, I'm out of options, and I desperately need help. So after that email was sent, I finally said, I've done everything I can. That's it. I took a deep breath, or tried to, and I kept knitting. And knitting had become my saving grace over summer. It allowed me to settle into my diencephalon, which is the part of your brain that makes you stop thinking so big and kind of brings you back into reality. It became a way for me to focus my thoughts in somewhat of an organized manner. And now I had absolutely no choice to wait on God because I had done everything that I could think to do. I had to let my friends carry me still, but let me tell you something. Our God is not petty. Our God is not petty. And I had talked to people about this before, but usually in the context of like, you can bring your honest feelings to God because that's important. And for me, that was usually sorrow or being frustrated at a friend or something like that. But like, God is not petty. And I had to preach this to myself constantly at the beginning of this semester. And there was one point where I was too angry to listen to worship music. And if you know me at all, you also know I listen to music all the time. It puts me before the throne of God more than almost anything. And I got so much angrier because I was angry about it because I was disappointed and I was frustrated. But I can beat on God's chest in anger all day, and he isn't fragile, and we are not the first ones to be angry at him. But I think it's funny how much we think we can impact the God of all creation by saying that we're mad at him. He just listens. He just waits, and he watches, looking on with great love, and he's not screaming back. He's not storming out or even shifting in his throne. He just waits. And I maybe should have told you at the beginning that this was going to be much more about God listening to me in the waiting and maybe not as much about me listening to God because I was much more obnoxious than God was. And I had to live in such constant and such active surrender. I had to be aware of my feelings, give them a name, feel them for a time, and always, always, always bring them before the throne of God, knowing that he was so much bigger than what I was feeling. Nothing about my waiting for God was passive. I was terrible at waiting quietly, which is what all of Scripture says to do. And I just screamed and screamed and screamed at God. Listening and the waiting at first for me was just throwing one massive fit. I was much like a toddler for a while. It was kind of a problem. I was disappointed at God's seeming lack of provision. I couldn't even say that I knew God would provide because it didn't feel like he would. So I was not the quiet church lady, and I will not say more about gender than that, but in the shallowest points of my waiting, I truly did not feel God with me. I did not feel his presence beside me or going before me or within me until I spoke it to my friends. And I think it's funny how much less power things can hold over us when they're in the light and not sitting in the darkness and the recesses of our mind. But when I wasn't feeling God, that didn't shake him. When I let my friends carry me to the foot of the cross 
or tried my hardest to listen closely to what seemed like such subtle whispers after the flood, the fire, and the earthquake of exactly what I needed to overwhelm my screaming and fighting. But sometimes the whispers were just drowned out because I was screaming too loud. I ran myself to exhaustion, to angry strive to what I thought was best for me. Isaiah 55 was spoken over me a couple times, and it took me a couple days to drink in the scripture deeply or even to open my Bible about it just because I was so angry. So I'm going to read to you Isaiah 55 and then talk about the effects that it had on me. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and that I will make an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to all peoples, a leader and commander for all people. Behold, I shall call you to a nation that you, don't, you do not know, a nation that you do not know shall run you, because the, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, and let the wicked forsake the way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So there's a lot of things to digest in that. <laughs> First of all, the Lord has rich food. The Lord does not give us food that won't satisfy, but his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than mine and so much higher than we could ever expect them to be. His plan is good and his plan is better than ours. And this was the start of the switch for me. I sat in this verse a lot and I very actively relied on those around me a little bit more willingly now and allowed the Lord to love me so deeply even when I didn't feel it. This was the start of how I was pulled out of my spiraling thoughts about how I perceived God. For a couple of weeks, I was so angry. It felt counterintuitive to let the Lord love me. But my lack of feeling God's love changed absolutely nothing about how he felt about me. This whole semester, even when I have not seen it, he has just been giving me good things, and they only keep coming. So we'll start with my Jeep. We'll go back to him. If you know me at all or follow me on social media, you've seen my Jeep and you have some awareness of how much it means to me. And the fact that this precious old car has a title and my name is absolutely only a gift from the Lord. And this grant is also only a gift from the Lord. I was working much too hard for it to have been a result of anything that I did. My people... All of my sweet people. To my friends in Iowa who carried my nameless thoughts, my grief with no title. My co-leader in service mounts who also doubles as my best friend, who celebrated and sat with me when I was too sad to speak. 
the leadership team at WGM who let me feel hard things openly, which usually just looks like laying on the floor. And it took me a very long time to see these things as gifts, but they are. And the timing of receiving these things and seeing these as gifts has never been mine. And here's the kicker. None of these things are actually mine at all. They're all good gifts from the Father that I, my striving did nothing to receive. Listening to God and the waiting for him to be something that was forced to learn in stillness. I couldn't do it when I was striving. I couldn't do it when I was screaming. I had to force myself to sit and to listen. And if you know me at all, you know I'm a very contemplative prayer kind of person. I love just sitting with the Lord, but that's something I had to relearn my love for and had to relearn the power of that to listen actively and sit in the reality of the people around me and just letting the Lord love me. His embrace, embrace is gentle and kind and he knows his kids. He gives us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. Never is it a moment too early or too late, although sometimes it seems like the timing is not correct, but it's just not ours. And if you're feeling like I probably was and probably will feel again, Know that your feeling does not push God away. He's still there, even if you do not feel him or if you do not feel like loving him. His look towards you is always love. So to close my time, I'm going to read um, a piece out of this book called Love Secrets by John Mark Pantana about his album, which is also called Love Secrets. Um, he basically wrote about all of the songs in the album, and it's really beautiful. Um, and this is from the chapter about day by day, which is how I had to live, but also how the Lord wants to redeem all of our days. Be of good cheer if you've starved an incredible amount of days like me. I will restore you to the years that the swarming locust has eaten, which is Joel 2.25. Swarming locusts quickly consume big harvests. One fell swoop and these devil munchers can devour someone's entire livelihood. Has this happened in your life? This curse along with every other has been removed from the landscape of our lives by Christ on the cross. We do not need to live in the barren wilderness any longer or submit to a very defeated enemy. The promised land is flowing with milk and honey, and it is yours, beloved, for the taking. God has given you richly resourced land and wants to restore all of your time. God loves restoring time. In fact, Jesus' first miracle was manipulating time. It would have taken decades to generate the wine Jesus has made, but he made it from water in a few seconds. The vineyard host complained, you're not supposed to save the best wine for last because drunk people don't mind crappy wine as much, but that's beside the point. Jesus can compress time for you. He can restore all the days that you've wasted or that have been stolen from you. He still loves turning water into wine. And he is here now and he is inviting you into a new normal he desires to give you the fullness of days where just one day with him seems like a thousand years. Your old locust days will be but a faint memory. So come to Jesus, taste and see that he is good and watch him turn all things for good. It is this daily eating of Jesus, our buttered bread that will fill our bellies to the brim. And I don't feel guilty when I eat every day. I feel hungry 
So hey, you, yeah, you, get fat and happy. So the reason that I included that was because the Lord has been so actively redeeming all of my days that I wasted, (laughs) that I threw away so actively because I thought I knew what was best. So if you're listening to God, don't stop. Just keep sitting with him. Let him love you. Let him sing his love songs over you. 